I'd like you to turn in your Bible this morning for, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. This, uh, this is a very familiar verse, uh, especially here in the church as we, uh, as we receive uh, the elements of communion and stuff. We often read this uh, particular portion of Scripture. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and through 26. The Bible says, and this is the writing of Paul. Paul is speaking, he's ministering in the uh, Corinthian church. This is a church that, uh, it, this is a church that was, uh, there are a lot of things going on in this place. A lot of really good things happening in this church, but also a lot of really, uh, just some kind of crazy things too, and some wrong things. And Paul brings some correction into this, and this happens to be one of those areas. So here it goes, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There are a lot of passages in the Bible that I, I suppose could be described as some of the most beautiful passages that you'll ever read in the Bible. Uh, and that applies to the Old Testament, to the New Testament. And perhaps it's, uh, perhaps it's uh, not very important to say this, but I think these are some of the most beautiful verses that can be found in the New Testament. They are like wonderful, rich, priceless diamonds. These few verses. Diamonds that have been dropped in a muddy road. And I'm saying that because Paul gives us this word in the few verses that I just read. Paul gives this to us in the midst of a very strong rebuke to the Corinthian church as being worldly, as, as being carnal. They were selfish. They had bad attitudes. All of these were a description of the people of the Corinthian church. There was also other descriptions, too. They were, they, these were people that flowed in the great gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they had been touched by God. It was a church of power, and yet there was all of these other things that, that found its way into the mixture of the life of the church. And Paul's rebuking them, if you will, challenging them, telling them, I need you to correct this in your church. Correct this area, correct this area, and whatever else it may be. The celebration of communion was first instituted on the very night in which Jesus was betrayed and in which he was arrested. Here in the midst of a, 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 
of the world's evil, God establishes his good. And in the midst of Satan's ultimate wickedness, God establishes his holiness. And that was the context. The bread which had represented the Exodus in the Old Testament now represents Jesus, the Redeemer, in the New Testament. And to the Jewish mind, the body, soul, and spirit represented the entire person. Jesus is, or Paul is speaking to these people. It's very clear that the observance of communion was practiced often by the early church. I believe it's important to be reminded about the two phases of the Christian experience. Phase number one is the receiving of God's divine nature in our lives when we, when we respond to Jesus Christ as the Savior and the Lord of our life. Phase number two becomes when we, when we <clears throat> engage in discipleship and as we engage in growth in our spiritual life. These two things are important. And the communion table gives us a very visible means of promoting spiritual life. The communion table is a call from the material things of this life. It causes us to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus and his desire for our personal spiritual growth and our growth in the spirit. And so we come to this place of communion today in the midst, in the midst of all of the material things that, that's a part of our lives these days. All of the things that impact us, all of the things that put pressure on us, all of the things that insists on, listen to this, listen to this, hear me out on this. And we come here for the few moments and we pause in the midst of all of this and we put in our hand a tiny little piece of bread about a half inch square and a small little cup and we remember this is Christianity. This is the sacrifice of Jesus. This is what it makes it possible for me to come into this place today to sing a song like, oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. That meant nothing before. Now it means everything. There's room at the cross for you. That means a lot. Because God takes in all kinds and all varieties. You'll never once hear Paul say to these Corinthians that, that just, you know, if I was a pastor, I'd be tearing my hair out. Paul, I'd be going nuts. These people, what in the world? And yet there was room for them at the cross. He wasn't turning them away. He wasn't saying, you guys, you guys are so goofed up. They invited, and they came. The fruit of the vine speaks to us, of course, of the spilled blood of Christ on Calvary, and we see this in the atonement for our sins, our reconciliation for God, to God and what we call justification. In other words, being made right with God. We're made right with him. We grasp it in a fresh way, the virtue of Calvary. The broken bread. I've always considered the broken bread, whether it's right or wrong, I've always considered the broken bread, I guess with a little more obscurity. 
than uh, in its symbolism anyway. And you go back to the Old Testament book of Leviticus and you find some of these, some of these areas and suddenly you begin to find a little bit fresher meaning as it projects forward into the, into the New Testament. The Bible says, uh, it often talks about a meat or a meal offering. The word meat is actually an old English word that means any kind of a food. And so we're speaking about offering, an offering here that's composed of fine flour. I want to talk about that just briefly. Very finely ground flour. Ground through several different processes of that day. And this forms the, the, the flour forms the baseline, if you will, of what God was doing in Jesus Christ. It's the flour. And this is added... I want to say this before I go on. Jesus, you know, Jesus grew up a, a normal child's life, I've got to believe, in Galilee. He was a young guy. He, was, uh, he, he experienced village life in a small Galilean town. Jesus was different from all the other boys in that area because he was sinless. Pilate admired him so much that he made this statement. It's an amazing statement. He says, I find no fault in him. <laughs> and yet he says, I condemn you to crucifixion. What a, what, what a confused man. What a confused person that finds no fault in Christ and yet says, go ahead, do what you want, crucify him. The flour then is mixed with oil. The oil speaks of the Holy Spirit of God all through the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament. Oil is virtually a, a universal symbol of the Spirit of God. And so these are mixed together. The Son of God, the flower, representing the flower here, the oil, a perfect nature that was divine. It was free of all leaven. Leaven in the Bible is always a type of sin. It is always a type of corruption. It was free of all of that, none of that, no sin, no corruption. Salt would be added, a small measure of salt, and it's well-known preservative, and in this case, it's going to be speaking of righteousness. Jesus was totally righteous in all of his acts, his thoughts, his nature, everything that was about him. He is the Lord of righteousness. And then something else, frankincense, and fire. I put these two together because they actually belong together. And for this reason, a small amount of frankincense would be added to this mixture and placed in the fire, and as it, is, uh, as it, as it was touched and affected by the fire, it would release a powerful, wonderful, strong, pleasant odor. I remember several years ago, <clears throat> we had one of these bread machines. You know what I'm talking about? You put all the ingredients in this thing, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how it all worked and everything, and you plugged it in and pressed start. <clears throat> and I don't know, a couple hours later, you'd have bread. And I don't know how long it took, actually. But uh, I thought it took a couple hours. But anyway, you plugged it in, and, and one, of the, one of the great memories that I have is after a Sunday night service coming over to the house, <clears throat> oh my goodness, the whole house smelled like warm, fresh bread. And was that ever good? That's so pleasant. 
so wonderful. The fire, the fire. Where do we see this bread being baked? And I'm going to make a suggestion here to you, and there's probably a couple routes you might want to travel on this, but I'm going to suggest that Gethsemane. Gethsemane is the place. This is where Jesus would fight the battle of temptation and sin, and he fought it alone. He was alone in this deal, in this, in this fight. He prayed in the agony of the Spirit, pleaded with the Father to remove the cup from him, and, and then settles it all. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what you will. Submitting himself to the Father. Gethsemane was the battleground. When Jesus went up against all of hell itself and won the victory, and then, of course, comes Calvary. The characteristic of the bread is that it must not only be baked at, Cal at Gethsemane, but it also must be broken at Calvary. Jesus needed to go all of the way, and that means <coughs> that he must die. His sinless perfection must be broken on a cross, which we can all receive. It was while this bread was broken that the miracle occurred and the multitudes were fed. Remember that? 5,000 people were fed, loaves and fishes, and as they continued to break the bread and distribute the fish, people were fed when they stopped. That's when the miracle stopped. When the bread is broken today at this communion service, it's again going to be broken, and today we discern the Lord's body and the miracle continues until he returns for his own. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, he said, the bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of this one bread. Today, today we come together as one. We receive the piece of bread, this little tiny piece of bread representing the body of Christ. We take this little cup and we respond to it. We receive it as the blood of Christ that has been shed for us. It becomes a powerful statement of all that God has desired to do in our lives. This is telling us that we align ourselves with Christ. It's a fresh declaration of our unity with one another because we're in unity with Christ. We're with him. Jesus compared <clears throat> this moment a little bit in John chapter 6 with the manna that was given to Moses in the wilderness and the bread that represents Jesus who comes down from heaven. The thing with manna was it was good for only one day. Just one day. You had to have fresh manna every day. This had, this had some kind of a characteristic in it, but it was only good for one day. It had to be collected that day. Next day, you have to collect the manna. And it was good for that day, but not for the next day. Couldn't be carried over. Couldn't be saved. Couldn't be stored. Couldn't, they didn't have any freezers in those days or anything like that. So, I mean, it, it had to be a daily thing of the, the collecting of the manna. I need to partake of Christ every day. I need to 
It may not be at a communion table, and it probably won't be, in fact. But I need to set aside time. I need to, I need to focus on Christ. I need to focus on what God wants for my life. I need to focus on what his word may be speaking into my life at that particular time. It's important for us to focus. The communion table brings a renewed focus. It sharpens that thing. Remember when you go to the eye doctor? You're sitting there, you look into this thing, and he says, is this better? Is this better? Is this more clear? I think the same thing here. And we get here, we've got these two little elements in our hand. And once again, that focus process. Is this clear? Is this clear? Is this the body? Yes, it is. It was broken for me. It was broken for you. I don't want us to have it together. I don't care where we are. I don't care what we're doing in life or where life's journey takes us. I don't want us to forget that. He was broken. And then God takes the cup. This represents the life blood of Christ. Go way back into the Old Testament, and it will tell you that life is in the blood. This represents to me the life of Christ, the body of Christ. It's not just something that we munch on on the first Sunday of the month, but it's something that helps us to clarify that focus. I'm zeroing in. I'm also zeroing in on my own life. Are there things in my life that distorts the focus of God? Are there things that I need to examine? It's a time of examination. Matter of fact, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11, a little bit later, just a few verses, and he says, we need to examine ourselves. That's very important. But I need to examine my life to make sure that there's nothing that can, that can confuse that focus of Jesus Christ for my life. We maintain our spiritual life with a constant communion with God. I want to close with a couple things here. Just really, they're very brief. It's something I've overlooked many times. Maybe you have too. And it's the simple little words. They're just two words in verse 24. This body which is broken for you. For you. This is saying, God the Son became a man for you. God the Son suffered and died for you. And God the Son was resurrected for you. And God the Son gave the gospel for you. Gives it to me. And whether I want to accept the gospel or not, it's my choice. And Jesus gave it, and it's up to me to accept his offer. 
will I accept his offer. He paid the ransom for sin that I might be set free so I can have everlasting life. Today, when we kneel at this altar, I pray that this little tiny piece of bread that you're going to receive will have a far greater significance in your life. The cup that you'll hold in your hand will have a, have a, a profound meaning to you that uh, will be a blessing. And I pray in this moment there's going to be a season of personal renewal in your life, a commitment to a deeper life with Christ, a fuller life with Christ, all that Christ has for us that we can engage and walk in. That's my prayer this morning. I'm praying that in the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for the word of God, and I thank you for this, this moment that we have today, a special day, in which we receive these elements of communion as a body of believers. Father, I pray that as followers of Christ, let our lives re truly reflect the following of Jesus. Let it truly reflect the grace of God that took people like us and invited us into your wonderful kingdom, forgave our sins, and gave us everlasting life. Father, today, before we receive these elements, we want to extend the invitation to come unto me all that do labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We want to extend to people that may be seated in this crowd right now that really need to seriously, seriously ask Christ to be the Savior and Lord of their life. It's not a matter of just going to church and showing up. It's not a matter of praying some kind of prayer here, there, or everywhere. But it's a matter of a heart that opens to Christ, that opens up. <clears throat> and you consciously say, I want Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of my life. I repent of my sin. Pray it with me right now for those who would be seated in this room today that need Christ. Would you join me? Jesus Christ, come into my life. I repent of my sin. In other words, I'm not just sorry for it, but I'm going to turn my life in a whole new direction to God. By faith, by faith, I ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I accept him into my heart, and I believe on Christ and him alone. I thank you that he died for me and that he rose from the dead for me. Today, from this moment on, as a new follower of Christ, I will live for him. In Jesus' name, amen.